0: Here he is, the funny-looking guy. Hey, Dale. Hey, Doug. Good to see you. Who's this? Well, this is Big Mama Eunice. (laughs) She's my friend from my Bingo Anonymous group. (laughs) Bingo Anonymous? Well, yeah, it's a 12-step program to help people come off the bingo. (laughs) Well, uh, it's very nice to meet you, Big. uh, Can I just call you Eunice?
1: Oh, sure, Sugar Bridges. You can call me whatever you want. I'm just here to see who my Dougie Woo-Woo has been hanging out with.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, Dougie Woo-Woo? Yeah. Yeah, well, it's an honorary title. Hey,
1: it sure is. (laughs) Hey, now, let's just get right down to the point. I'm here to find out just what you've been teaching him. I'm sorry, but I'm a bit skeptical about this whole church thing. Oh, well,
0: Doug and I have just been meeting to talk about being a Christian. Right. We've been discussing all the different ways that we as Christians can impact our world for Christ. Yes. Mm. Today, we're going to be talking about financial stewardship.
1: Okay, see here, I thought y'all were talking about Jesus. Who's steward? (laughs) No, 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 no. Financial
0: stewardship is honoring God with our money through giving to Christian ministries in the church. Right. And I am ready to sell all my possessions and give the money to the church.
1: That is it. This is what I was afraid of, Dougie. This one's trying to convince you to give all your money. Well,
0: Mm -hmm. actually, I was thinking about selling all your possessions, too. What?
1: Just what are you trying to pull here, Mr. Clean?
0: (laughs) Mr. Clean? Dougie,
1: Okay, okay, boys, that's enough. I mean, I'm getting back to it. What and why does the church need all our money? The
0: church is definitely not asking Dougie to give all of his money.
1: Oh, you're right, you're right. He's trying to get all his and my money.
0: <laughs> okay, I can my see money. there is a bit of confusion here. That's okay, we're gonna fix that. Um, if you guys will just excuse me for just a second, I just need to make a quick call. That's rude.
1: Oh, Well, how much is that gonna cost me? <laughs> you know what, I think I have a loose tooth here.
0: Okay. Hey, that means I can give my tooth fairy money to the church too. Oh my no, god. Go again. That would be ridiculous.
1: Oh. Hey, this is a day living. Here, let me see that day. too.
0: Pastor Kenneth right away. Uh, oh, uh, well, just telling that I have a Code Benjamin alert down at the coffee shop. Yes, that's right. Code Benjamin. Okay, great. Thanks. No. Sorry about that. I just had to uh, take care of something.
1: Oh, sure, honey bunches. I i know I have to make emergency doctor's appointments all the time with my corns, calluses, bunions, and uh, sciatica.
0: <laughs> yeah, and of course, Dale has chronic halitosis.
1: <laughs> that <is not> true. <laughs> oh, oh, and acute anxiety. You do not.
0: Oh, and, and denial, too.
1: <laughs> and denial. Oh, I know, especially since he's trying to take everybody's money and all. Yeah. That
0: is Wait, what? Is not <laughs> the financial no. no. As a matter of fact, Ah, here is just
1: the person to explain it to you. This is our senior pastor, Dr. Kenneth Bruce. Oh, he had to call him back up. How do you do, Big Mama Eunice? Nice <laughs> hey, yeah, to, meet to meet you. Good to meet you, my Dougie, Lulu. Big Mama
2: Eunice. Hey, What's up, preacher? Big Dog? Yeah. How you doing, man? Oh. How you uh, doing, bro? <laughs> <laughs> you doing good. Yeah. Okay. Okay, yeah. none of
1: that nonsense. That's ridiculous. Now back to me. Okay, look, see here, Pastor. I seem to have intimidated my ball buddy over here, and I have to need some clarification. Okay, <laughs> so you see, I do not mind. My bingo buddy Dougie Woo-woo coming to your church and hey you even reading this Bible here. But uh wanna know. Why do you need all his money? Huh? I mean I just need some clarification, that's all. Please and thank you.
0: Now wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Does does this mean that I don't get to sell both of my kidneys this weekend? <laughs>
2: okay, okay, Let's clarify a few things here, y'all. Thanks. Okay, you don't need to sell anything. Okay, let's keep your organs right where they are. Okay. And the church is not asking for everybody's money. Okay. You see, the Bible drives generosity. When we look and see what God has done for us in the gospel, it compels us to respond. We don't have to give to earn God's love. We give because we are already loved by Jesus. You see, the beauty of the gospel is that it liberates us to want to be generous because God's been generous to us in the gospel. You see, for followers of Jesus, we give in light of a blood-stained cross. When we see how God gave us his son who shed his blood at the cross, there is nothing more we can do than to give our very best back to him for the sake of the gospel. And for us as a faith family, it is my desire to prepare you and I for that moment when we stand before the Lord Jesus. And I long for all of us to hear those words, well done. Well done, good and faithful servants. Let's pray now that God would lead us to that end. Father, I pray that indeed that would be the response of our people, that we would long to stand before you and to give an account and have great joy knowing the affirmation, the commendation that we will receive from our Savior, King Jesus. And so, Father, I pray that even now as we open your word, and as we dig into the scriptures, that your Holy Spirit would open our minds and our hearts, that we might discover the beauty and the power of the gospel that Jesus would be sovereign over all, be our Lord and our King, and the one in whom we find great joy and delight in his commands. God, we pray that on that day when we see you face to face, we would indeed be found faithful. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the empty tomb that empowers us to live for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Church family, we're going through a sermon series right now called For Impact. We're looking at our mission statement in which God calls us as a church at Westwood to invest in people who will impact their world for Jesus. We take this from the Great Commission of Jesus. In Matthew 28, before he ascends back up to heaven to be with his Father, he calls us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and I will be with you even to the end of the age. So for us as a church, the call upon us is to be faithful in this disciple-making process. Well, as a disciple of Jesus, God calls us to have impact in our world for Jesus. A few weeks ago we were looking at the power of an invitation. We looked at John chapter 1 in which we see a brother and a friend bring these brothers and their friends to Jesus and their lives are changed forever. And so the challenge that we've brought to us as a church is for all of us to be inviting people, at least four per month is the goal, in which we're inviting people to come and gather with us because we want people to come and experience the gospel and to meet Jesus. Last week, we took time to look at Psalm 119 in which there is power in memorizing the Word of God. We looked at verse 11 primarily that says, that I had, when it's a, the psalm writer says, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. And so the challenge that we have brought to the entire church is to memorize four Bible verses per month. Well, now we get to a segment of faithfulness that we're going to be looking at Finances. In the beauty of God's word, he gives us rich content, information, leadership of how you and I can leverage our resources for the sake of the gospel. Let me show you. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. The context of what we're reading here is that Jesus is a few days away from the cross, he is a few days away from going to fulfill exactly why he came to earth, to die on the cross and to rise again on the third day. But before he goes to do that, he gathers his disciples up on the Mount of Olives, just outside of Jerusalem. And he sits down with them and they ask him, Jesus, tell us, what is the end of the world going to look like? When we look at the end of, the, end of the age, what is going to happen? And so in Matthew 24, Jesus begins describing what is going to happen in regards to world events when it comes to the end of the age. He says there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, people claiming to be the Messiah, but they really aren't. In fact, he talks about persecution against believers that will be increasing all the more as the day of Christ draws near. And then in Matthew 25, Jesus then lays out what this looks like practically. And he tells two parables. Now, a parable is a story that communicates a truth. The first parable he tells in Matthew 25 is the parable of the ten virgins. The story goes that there are ten virgins who go out to meet the groom. Five were wise. They were prepared. They brought oil to put into their lamps. Then there were five who were foolish. They came unprepared. Well, the groom was uh, taking his time on coming to the wedding, and so they all fall asleep, all ten of them. And then in the middle of the night, out of total surprise, there, there's an announcement The groom is coming. The five who were wise took their, their oil, they started trimming their lamps, and they made preparations. They were ready, they were alert, ready for that groom to come. The five who were foolish panicked. They asked the five who were wise, Hey, let us have some of your oil. And the five who are wise says, hey, there's not enough for all of us to go around. You need to go buy some. So the five who are foolish run off to go buy oil. Well, by the time they get back, the door has been shut. The five wise virgins have already gone into the wedding. And they start knocking on the door, let us in. And the master says, depart, for I never knew you. And then Jesus drives home the point of the parable in verse 13, which is, he says, therefore, be alert. Because you don't know either the day or the hour. And so the whole point of of the parable is Jesus is driving home this truth. I'm coming back at a time that you don't know. So be alert. Be prepared. Be on the ready. So in light of that, do we as believers just sit down and twiddle our thumbs and wait until Jesus comes back? Do we go to a mountain retreat and just stare at the eastern sky waiting for Christ to return? No. In fact, Jesus tells us exactly what we are to be doing while we wait for his return. Look with me at Matthew 25, beginning with verse 14. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey, Jesus says. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, depending on each one's ability. Then he went on a journey. Immediately, the man who had received five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. In the same way, the man with two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, "'Master, you gave me five talents. See, I have earned five more talents.'" His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man with two talents also approached. And he said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I've earned two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. His master replied to him, you evil, lazy servant. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with with the bankers, and I would have received my money back with interest when I returned. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing servant into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In the parable of the talents, Jesus is teaching what faithfulness looks like for the believer. As you and I wait for Christ's return, as we long for his appearing, we are to be about the work of the kingdom. And from the text, we see a master who entrusts his possessions to his servants to manage while he is away. When he returns, he calls each of his servants back to himself to account for what they have done with the resources that he entrusted to them. Those who were faithful, they were rewarded. Now, we must always keep before us the gospel motivates our obedience, Before you and I walk off this campus, we don't need to be walking out of here saying, I need to try harder so that God will love me. No, no, no. We don't try harder because we want God to love us. He already loves us. And therefore, we long to be faithful stewards with what he has provided. You see, the same grace that saved you by the blood of Jesus is the same grace that empowers you to obey Jesus. So our motivation for obedience and faithfulness is what God has done for us in the gospel. We long to be faithful because God has been faithful to us in Jesus. Therefore, as we wait for Jesus' return, the question is, how can you and I live in such a way that we find ourselves faithful on that day when we give an account? What I want to do as your pastor today, I want to prepare you for that moment when you see Jesus. And so when you are sprinting across the finish line of the faith, whether it's when you take your last breath or when Jesus returns, I want you to hear the words, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant." Those are the words that you and I, we, we long to hear. That's what we want to hear from our master. Well, Kenneth, how can we go about so that on that day when we see Jesus, we can hear those words? Well, let me show you here in the text three ways, three steps to faithfulness. The first is this. Number one, start with what you have. Look at verse 14. The text says, for it, okay, that it is a reference back to verse one of the kingdom of heaven. So for the kingdom of heaven is just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, depending on each one's ability. Then he went on a journey. You see, a talent here, it's a sum of money. This money is something that is entrusted to us by God. We know that it's money because we look down in verse 27 where we see a reference to where the master returns and says, I'm looking for the return on my money. Now, a a talent is usually a precious metal like gold or silver or bronze, and its value is dependent upon its weight So the heavier it is, the more valuable that it has, the more value that it has. Well, here, Jesus is referencing money as the resource for which we leverage for the kingdom. But notice in the text whose possessions they are. Verse 14, the masters. The master entrusted, watch this, his possessions to them. You see, the talents belonged not to the servants, but to the master. Remember. God is the ultimate owner of your money. Don't miss this truth. The the simple principle that we see here in the text is that God is the owner and you are the manager. God owns all that you have. He owns your home, he owns your car, he owns your money, he owns your retirement, he owns everything that you possess. Your business is his, your body is his. Everything that you have, every square inch of who you are and what you possess belongs to him. The call that he places upon us is that of a steward or that of a manager. We manage the resources that God has entrusted to us. Not only do your resources belong to him, may I say to you, your children belong to him. Ultimately, that your children don't belong to you. They belong to the Lord. God has called you as a parent to steward, to manage in raising them up, to follow Jesus. Well, that's true as well when it comes to finances. God owns all that you have. But also notice, verse 15, that the master decides how much each servant gets to manage We see that he gives to one five talents, and to another two talents, and to another one talent. And it's based upon their ability, the text says. The the, the master knew his servants, and he gave to them based upon their ability to manage the money. So whatever the Lord has entrusted to you, be faithful. Leverage it for the sake of the kingdom. Receive what he has given to you, and you start from there. What you have now, this is your starting point. This may be the very first time you've heard someone teach you from the scriptures how to manage money. And then you have this point. You've not stewarded your resources well. Well, now is the starting point. Start with what you have. God has entrusted to you a specific or particular amount. And the call for you upon, and I is to leverage it for the sake of the kingdom. Now, I want you to guard your heart against jealousy. There's this desire, this internal longing that you and I have for more. If I could just have more money, if I could have more resources, I want you to guard your heart against that because are you ready to have to give an account for all of that? You see, God will not hold you accountable for what is not under your authority or care. But the more resources he affords and provides for you, the greater accountability you and I have. But what a great opportunity we have to leverage what he does provide for the sake of investing it into what really matters. You see, the faithful servants, they multiplied what God had given to them to use. They started with what they had. If you're a follower of Jesus, God has entrusted to you resources. And I want you to remember, they don't belong to you ultimately. God is the owner of all that you possess. You're the steward, you're the manager. Therefore, be faithful with what he has entrusted to you. But you see, this principle applies not only to money, it applies to all of life. Your time, your talent, your health, your body, your, your children. All that you possess are opportunities to leverage resources for the sake of the kingdom. If you're healthy right now, praise God, leverage that. Use your strength to invest into what really matters. Your time, your your talent, the spiritual gifts, the personality that you have. God has given all of these to you. So leverage them for the sake of the kingdom. So start with what you have. But number two, work with rapid obedience. You work with rapid obedience. Verse 16, it says, Immediately the man who had received five talents went and put them to work and earned five more. That word immediately, it means at once. What we see here is rapid obedience on behalf of the faithful servants. The servant with two talents even was, uh, did the same thing. Verse 17, they responded to the commission of their master with rapid obedience. The picture here is that of a servant who is eager to serve their master. That word immediately shows up 18 times in Matthew's gospel. We see it in Matthew chapter 8 when the man with leprosy comes and kneels down before Jesus. And Jesus touches him and immediately the man was healed. We see it in Matthew chapter 20, where there's two blind men who are crying out to Jesus, Would you give us our sight, son of David? Jesus says, Bring them here. He touches them, and immediately they can see. Well, here in the text, the, the master gives the talents to his servant, and he immediately gets to work. He started with what he had, and then he went to work to be about the kingdom. His master had given him talents, money, resources to use to advance the kingdom. And he immediately got to work. Question, what are you waiting for? Are you waiting for an invitation for God to to say, I want you to come and join me on mission? I want you to leverage your resources. We'll hear through his word today. Now is the time. Jesus is coming back. There is an urgency And I long for the day for that eastern sky to depart and to hear the words of an ancient Galilean as he comes and brings his church back to himself. And that day is coming. It is imminent. He is coming soon. But in the meantime, be about the work of the master. Leverage your resources for the sake of his kingdom. Because when Jesus comes back, y'all, there are people right now who are not ready. They have not heard the gospel. They have not responded to Jesus. And God allows you and I to participate in advancing his mission with our resources. We want to see people on that day when Christ comes back to be looking and longing to be with him. Because they've heard the gospel through the investment that you and I have made with our resources. It's amazing here. The man who had five talents, he immediately put them to work. That word for work, verse 16, it means to trade or to do business. You see, the faithful servants labored. They they were about the task of earning their master a return on his money. His master charged them with the task of managing his possessions. Y'all, when God calls you to the task, there is no greater call than to serve him. I love how Charles Spurgeon, he said it like this, if God calls you to be his servant, don't stoop to be a king. Westwood, we have a task to accomplish, the Great Commission. We need the gospel to go to the nations and to our neighbors. And God invites you and I to participate on his mission by leveraging the resources that he has entrusted to us. What an opportunity we have to be about the work of the master. Jesus is giving to us in his book the example of two servants who were faithful with rapid obedience, and they took seven talents and they turned them into 14. It's amazing what happens when you entrust your, your resources to the Lord. You see, when you invest in the kingdom, there's a multiplication factor that takes place. You're not just giving. Because when you give, it goes and it stays there. We're about sowing. We are casting out seed. What happens when you sow is there is a multiplication on your return. There's no greater investment, no greater return on your investment when it comes to investing in the kingdom. Because God takes whatever it is we give, how big or ever how small it is, he multiplies it. It's amazing. He takes these, these seeds and it plants more fruit so that more seeds might come forth and more fruit. It's amazing. You and I are here today because there are those who've gone before us who invested so that the people who led us to Jesus could preach the gospel. Well, then you keep backing up all the way. It's because someone just kept investing. Y'all, there are going to be people who are yet to be born who will come to faith in Jesus because you and I are faithful to invest our resources for the sake of the kingdom. And yet here in the text, Jesus also gives us an example of what unfaithfulness looks like. The servant with one talent, instead of getting to work, he digs a hole. He, he hides his master's money, but does he get away with it? No. You see, you will give an account on that day when you stand before Jesus. And on that day, we can hear, well done, good and faithful servant, or you can hear the rebuke of your master. You evil, wicked servant. That word evil there means, means wicked. This is someone whose heart is turned away from the Lord. You see here, Jesus is connecting your wallet with your character. What's also interesting here, verse 26, is that the servant is called lazy, slothful. Someone who's not being diligent and faithful with their resources. Now, what we take away from this text is that we see this servant who was wicked and lazy, verse 30, he's cast into hell. Now, what we can't take away from this text is that if I'm not faithful, I go to hell. That's not the equation here. You see, you go to hell because you don't know Jesus. Jesus. And this man, by not being faithful, is showing that he doesn't know Jesus. And so if you find yourself not being able to be faithful with your resources, hear the warning of Jesus, you may not be in Christ. You see, a mark that you belong to Jesus is that you want to leverage all that you have to advance his mission. And the warning here is that if you are not faithful, you may not be in Christ. This is where the gospel says, you don't work to earn God's favor. We just sing it. We sing these words. I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. It is grace that it has brought to us. But now that the grace has bought us and saved us, y'all, we long to leverage that grace and to use it so that it might empower us to serve King Jesus with all of the resources he has entrusted to us. So the third step to faithfulness is to celebrate your reward. Verse 21 and verse 23, they, they mirror one another. It says, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. You notice here in the text that all three servants had to give an account. And based upon how they stewarded their talents in this life, it dictated the reward they would receive. You and I are going to give an account for how we leveraged our resources for the sake of the kingdom. And on that day when we stand before King Jesus, it can be a day of reward. It's a day we look forward to. It's not a burden. It's not something we dread like an ACT exam coming up. It's like, yes, I get to go see Jesus. I get to stand before him and say, Lord, I gave you my best. I'm imperfect, and he knows that. His grace has covered your imperfections but he invites us to come and he gets to reward faithfulness of his people. Well, what does that look like? I want you to see here in the text three rewards. The first reward is the master's commendation. The master's commendation. Verse 21, well done, good and faithful servant. Y'all, these are the words we long to hear. These are the words we want. That when we're sprinting across the finish line, we hear the words of our savior in which he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Those are the words that we long to have. but We want to hear Jesus speak these words to us, words of commendation, words of affirmation of the life that we lived of complete faithfulness to King Jesus. These are the words I long to hear, that as I'm living the Christian life, I'm making much of Jesus as much as I can, as imperfect as I am, I want to make much of Christ so that as I sprint across that finish line, I can hear those words. Well, you too can hear those words by being faithful to King Jesus. This is what we see here in the text is God is rewarding with verbal commendation of the faithfulness of his saints. Now hear me today. You must choose right here, right now. Do you want the praise of man or do you want the praise of God? You can't have both. If you seek the praise of man, it's temporary. But if you seek the praise of God, it is eternal. The Apostle Paul wrestled with this question in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. He said, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. You need to choose right now. Do you want the praise of man? Or do you want the praise of God? The second reward is more opportunity. Verse 21 You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. The principle is this God gives more to those who are faithful with little. Not only in this life, but ultimately in the life that is to come, in the new kingdom. In the new kingdom, God will entrust to you more responsibility and more opportunity for service through your faithfulness now. Be faithful with little, and God will reward you with much. Lastly, God will reward your faithfulness with eternal joy. Verse 21, share your master's joy. You see, eternal, unending, all-satisfying joy is coming for those who belong to Jesus. It's what's coming for us. Heaven, y'all, is going to be amazing. You will not be bored. You will not be sitting on a cloud playing a harp. You will not be wondering when is this gonna be over with. It is going to be a time of celebration, joy, and delight. So what does this look like for us as a church? This year, I've challenged our church to give $4 million to our general budget. We've calling it the Go For Four initiative. Which, by the way, y'all, is crazy. Last year, we, our budget was 2.82, and we far exceeded that by God's grace. But raising our expectation by a million dollars is bananas, unless God is in it. And the reason I want to call us to this is because not only are we through our budget able to reach more people with Jesus, we've doubled our missions budget by trying to reach more people with the gospel both here and around the world. We've also got a retired debt as a church. And as we as a church together just faithfully give, faithfully invest, we're going to get to that $4 million mark at the end of the year. I'm trusting and I'm asking God for it. And when we get there, in one year, we're going to knock out $1 million on principle on our debt. Right now, by God's grace, Lord willing, we will be below $9 million in debt in August. We're chopping away at this thing. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time and we are going after this thing. But here's the thing. I want us as a church to be faithful. That's what I want more than anything. Let's just be faithful. Well, okay, Kenneth, how does the marble play into this? Well, for you, there's no marble involved because I want to protect all of us, including me, from self-righteousness. If we were saying, okay, for every X number of dollars that you give, you get to put a marble in the jar out in the atrium. I know my heart, that wouldn't lead well. In fact, Jesus, in many ways, he, he rebuked those who were celebrating how much they gave in front of everybody. So when it comes to your giving, you're not going to put a marble in anything. What we are going to do is our finance office is going to do it for us. For every $10,000 that we as a church give, we invest in the sake of the gospel, the finance team is going to put one marble out there for us. And each marble representing $10,000 is going to grow over throughout the year. The goal is if we get to 400 marbles, which is a full jar, that's $4 million. And at that, we're going to be able to reach more people with the gospel and retire debt. That excites me. But here's what I, I want us to do is I don't want us to be so focused on, on filling jars as I want us to fall more in love with Jesus. Let's follow hard after him. Let's be faithful with what he has entrusted to us. You know, one of my favorite poems, it's a real brief one, but it's by English missionary C. T. Studd. He's a missionary to Africa, and he said these words: "Not much longer till this day is past. Only what's done for Christ will last." Y'all, you've got one life. Don't waste it. Leverage all that you have. On that day, when he returns and you see him face to face, you will hear the words, well done, well done.